0: I'm thrilled to be here. It's a real treat to have so many people here. And it is a a further demonstration of how concerned the public is about the honeybee situation. And uh, it has been a a bit of a blessing and a bit of a curse to have so much interest by the public and the press in this, this topic. It has been sort of—it has overwhelmed us. At uh, those of us who are working on this problem, and we're very, we're very thankful for the attention and the interest and the concern of the public. But it has been a a, a struggle to manage it a little bit. But uh, I am very thrilled to have the sixth graders here. I want to recognize that we have a number of beekeepers in the audience. Would you, all the beekeepers in the audience, please uh, raise your hand? There's a number of them here. we're thrilled to have. And then with us here, I may call upon them to help answer a few questions that I know the sixth graders are prepared to ask, particularly about honeybee biology and management. I also want to recognize two of my very um, important colleagues who are here, my husband, Jim Frazier, and Chris Mullins. <laughs> Together, we are working on the aspect, one of the aspects about colony collapse disorder that I'm gonna, and then I'm going to tell you about. But what I would like to do is quickly go through some slides to talk about this issue about why, why honeybees are important to us, What you know? what's all the fuss about honeybees and uh, pollination, and then talk a little bit quickly uh, on the issue around colony collapse disorder and the role that Penn State has played to try to address this problem, and then I really would encourage you, I'll uh, try to leave as much time as I can for us to have a, a conversation and for you all to ask, ask questions, okay? So, we're going to start and... Go ahead quickly to the first slide. So what I'm going to start really basically here because it's so interesting to me as the extension specialist the kind of questions and and, and comments that I get from the public. So so a bee, I think it's real interesting to know uh, what a bee is. Sometimes people think that everything that stings, no matter what it is, is a bee. And that's not true. Uh, Most of the things that sting are in a group that the bees are in called hymenoptera. Uh, But that includes a lot of things. Bees, yes but also wasps, hornets, yellow jackets, and things like ants. So the way that, the, the, the difference, the difference is that these bees, the way to think about it, is they're the vegetarians of this group. They eat strictly pollen and nectar. These other critters in this group are all carnivores. They eat other insects as the source of protein for their, their brood. And when you look at a bee or a, a, an insect, or if you get stung by one and you're trying to figure out, is that a bee or isn't it? The way to know is that these are all quite fuzzy looking. Most all bees are, are fuzzy. They have a lot of hairs on them. And that's because that's a structure that they use for collecting pollen. And that structure becomes very important in the act of <coughs> pollination, which is very, very important. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the, the wasps, if you think about hornets, wasps, ants, they don't have these hairs. They're not fuzzy looking. They're, they're naked. They have no hairs, no hairy bodies. So that's the way to differentiate. And remember that the bees are the, the vegetarians, and the wasps, hornets, yellow jackets, and ants, they're the carnivores. Okay? <coughs> that's a good way to think. So that's bees. What's this issue? What's about, what is the deal with pollination, and what's all the fuss about, about honeybees? Pollination is what happens whenever the male parts of the flower, the sperm, is transferred to the female part of the flower. And that's important to have. It has to happen before we get fertilization and we get fruits and we get vegetables and we get seeds. So it's a really important part of the process of the proliferation of plants and our food crops. So it's important in agriculture. So there are lots of things that can pollinate. Wind is one of the most important things. Corn is pollinated by wind. Our conifer trees are pollinated by wind. Rain can carry, water can carry pollen. Birds like hummingbirds visit flowers they can carry. Mammals, even like rabbits and small uh, rodents, mites, and so forth. But insects are our most important pollinators. And of those insects, honeybees, bees, I should say, bees are built for pollination. That is what they are all about. The bees need the pollen and the nectar to survive, and the plants need the bees to be able to transfer the pollen to their different from the male to the female parts in order to produce. For them to survive and to be able to thrive. So these bees and plants really need each other. And here you can see this is a honeybee. But bees in I'm gen- yeah. talking about bees in general here, are important pollinators. Fuzzy body, that's the, they dive into the flower. They collect the, the pollen on their hairy bodies. Then they can comb it. Their legs are full of special structures that allow them to comb and pack pollen into places like their legs. And then they can carry that pollen back to the hive. At the same time, they have special mouth parts that allow them to suck the nectar from the flowers and carry it in a special little sac in their in their bodies back to the hive. And they can use that nectar or use that for for making honey in the case of honeybees or feeding uh, the adult bees. So it's really if you ever get a chance to look at a honeybee under a microscope, it's amazing to see these branching hairs and all these specialized structures on their bodies, that allow, particularly their legs, that allow them to be very efficient at collecting pollen and carrying it back to the hive. And when they do that, visiting flower after flower after flower, they're also pollinating, which is very important for the flower. So why honeybees? Okay, we have 3,500 species of bees in the United States. 3,500 species. We have about 700 here in the Northeast. Why all the fuss about honeybees? What do we need honeybees for if we have all these other species, right? Well, the fact is, honeybees are the bees. They're for a number of reasons. They're our main pollinator. They're our prime pollinator because they are manageable. We can keep them in these hives like this, these boxes. We can we know they all go back there at night. We can close them up and move them when we want to where we need them. If we, they need to go to the apple orchard to pollinate apples. We can take them there. When they're done, we can get them out of there. They are very uh, mobile, very mobile. Some of these solitary bees are not that mobile. You can't, you know, most they're, they're <coughs> of them are solitary. They don't live in colonies. They don't live in big groups, so they're not available in large numbers, and they're not very mobile. And, of course, honeybees are very well studied because they're social, because they produce honey, because
1: they produce wax. For
0: lots of reasons, we've been interested in honeybees for a long time. Early in the spring, these colonies have 30 to 40,000 individuals in them. In a case of bumblebees, which are very nice pollinators, good, efficient pollinators, the queen comes out in the spring. Any bumblebee you see early in the spring is a queen. She's starting all by herself. There's only one. So she has no brood at this point. She has no young bees. So we have to wait till she lays her first set of, establishes a nest, lays the first uh, set of eggs, that brood emerges. So it's not until sort of midsummer that those uh, bees are available to help us in terms of pollination. So the other thing about honeybees is once they get locked on to something like the flowers of apples, they are very faithful to those flowers and they'll keep visiting apple flowers. And apples is a crop, a very important crop in Pennsylvania. We're the fifth largest apple-growing um, state, and uh, so apples are an important crop to us. And apples must be cross-pollinated. They are not able to pollinate themselves, so they need, pollen, need to transfer pollen from one variety to the next. So our honeybees are very important to us. So uh, the other thing about our agriculture, which you may or may not be aware of, our agriculture today consists, and I'm sorry, these slides, we tried to adjust this a little bit for the, the lighting and the, and the, and the uh, slides, but basically the, the point here is we now have large monocultures of, of, of as how our agriculture works. We have large farms that produce one or two crops. So here, again, in Pennsylvania, it's a little hard to tell here, but the hillsides, and if you've ever been down around Biglerville or Adams County, the hillside, they're covered. Every farm after farm after farm after farm is apples. It's all apples. So the apple growers um, you know, have to use pesticides to control their pests to produce the apples that we want to eat. And so the pollinators are, you know, if they're there all the time, they're kind of in trouble whenever their pesticides are being applied. So we can bring honeybees in when we need them and take them out when we're done. We can protect the pollinators that way by moving them in and out. This is a picture of California. This may look like snow, but this is the almond crop, the almond orchards in California. These are beehives, thousands and thousands and thousands of beehives. We have 2.5 million beehives in this country, and somewhere between a third and a half of those beehives go to California for almond pollination. They're all moved out. There are big semi trucks. The beekeepers have to get the bees in shape. They have to get them uh, healthy enough to move them out. And the thing about almond pollination is the acreages of almonds are increasing dramatically. So the need for bees is also increasing. And our concern is the bees numbers, if you know anything about bees, and I'm assuming a lot of you do, that's why you're here, is our bees are decreasing. Our beehives, our numbers of bees, our number of beekeepers are decreasing. In 1980, we had 80,000 colonies of bees in Pennsylvania. Today, we have about 35,000 colonies of bees in Pennsylvania. So, the numbers are crazy. The value, so these crops, these bee-pollinated crops, which include apples and almonds and um, a lot of the small fruit, like uh, blueberries and uh, uh, cranberries, the cucumbers, the vine crops, your Halloween pumpkins, all of those things require insect pollination, and for the most part, it's bees, and for the most part, it's honeybees. So... When we gather that, all those things together and we, we place a value on them, the contribution of honeybees to that value is $15 billion. So honeybee pollination in this country is valued, and this is the 2002 figure. Nobody's worked at trying to figure out what the, the, uh, the value is um, uh, since then, because uh, it's, it's a hard thing to calculate. But it's, it's well probably well over right now $15 billion. The other thing to keep in mind, this is just our agricultural crops. What about all of the other, the other eco-cultures other than the agro our natural ecosystems? We need pollinators to pollinate those wildflowers, those wild plants, food for birds and for other wild animals. There's no calculation for that. We don't know how, we have no idea the contribution of, of, of bees and of honeybees in particular to that, to the value of, of, of pollination of our, our, in our wild ecosystems. Okay, our ecosystems beyond ag- the agro ecosystem. Okay, I'm just gonna quickly go through the rest of these slides. I was gonna give you a chance to ask some questions, but let me just finish off with these so we can have a quick conversation, a, a, a more substantial conversation. A lot of you know, a lot of you are aware, I know all you sixth graders are aware that honeybees and other pollinators are definitely in trouble. And there's two, I'd like to point to two very interesting uh, documents that could help you. And you can actually go and see these online. You can actually download. You can buy this book. This is a book by the National Academies of Science. And what this book is, in in 2007 it came out even before we had CCD and before we recognized this dramatic decline in honeybees. What this book was saying was that this is a four-year study that basically all the pollinators in North America are in decline the bats and the birds and the, the mammals and insects like moths and butterflies and beetles and bees. Even before CCD, this came out saying. And then, of course, we had the, the incidents with, with, with CCD. And so that's North America. What about other places in the world? So what the North America thing is saying is that all across North America, and it's not just honeybees, it's all pollinators. In Europe, this is a study that was from science, And what they did was they looked at a certain number of pollinators. There are some pollinators. Honeybees and bumblebees are generalists. They'll pollinate lots of different things. They visit lots of different flowers. They need to. They need that diversity of pollen. But some bees are very closely tied to some plants. Here in North America, we have the squash bee. Uh, It looks a little bit like a honeybee, but it it has to have squash pollen for its young to uh, survive, develop, and thrive. And um, the squash really, most of the pollinators uh, for squash, uh, particularly pumpkin types, pu- pumpkins and those kinds those of things, a lot of those pollinators are squash bees, if they have them, if the growers have them. In our own garden, we see squash bees. We don't know where they came from. We haven't had squash for years and years and years. We plant squash and they show up. So it's pretty amazing. So the point here is that there are some bees that are closely tied to certain plants. In Europe, they were finding not only are these, some bee species declining. The plants that they're tied to are also in decline. So again, it talks about this idea and I know you sixth graders have been talking about this, how things are interrelated. So what about this whole issue of CCD, Colony Collapse Disorder? (coughs) Now I know you're not beekeepers and this is a little bit hard to explain, but what happened with CCD, what happened even, and the first person to really identify colony collapse disorder was one of our beekeepers here in Pennsylvania, Dave Hackenberg. He lives about an hour and a half from here in Lewisburg. He also overwinters his bees in Florida. So he was in Florida and he went out to one of his bee yards that he had been to a couple of weeks earlier. He had a lot of new colonies there. He was making colonies from dividing his colonies so he could increase the number of colonies he has, And that's one of the reasons the beekeepers go to Florida. And when he went to this apiary where the bees were, what he found was a lot of empty beehives. He found this. These are frames of bees. This is what a beehive looks like. Boxes. I should have brought one for you. But boxes with frames in them. And on these frames, it's very obvious here. If you, uh, my beekeepers, I'm sure they all recognize this. A lot of brood. Young bees. What this says is this hive was very strong just a short time ago to produce these, this brood. All this, these young capped, capped bees in here. And yet, now when they look in there, there's no adult bees. There's, no, there's some bees. There's a few this, in a beehive. This is nothing. This is a handful of bees. There's usually a queen here and just a small number of bees. And all of the rest of the bees are gone. They're, and we presume they've left the hive and died. And we're pretty confident about that because if they hadn't, bees ha- are social. They have to live together. We would find them hanging together in a big group somewhere, like they do when they swarm. Or we would find other colonies that had a big bunch of extra bees in them. But we don't find that. We don't see that. What we see are these beehives, lots of them, and a lot of beekeepers had this problem uh, across the country um, in 2007, and some of them even admitted that they had it before then, and many have had it since. So a bunch of people at universities got together And um, we said, okay, this is a serious problem and we have to work together to try to find an answer to this problem. This is our group here at Penn State. Uh, Again, it's working on one aspect of this, And another person at Penn State, some of you may recognize, this is Diana Cox Foster. She's working on the issues around viruses. And a lot of work has been done. I don't want to go into a lot of detail to tell you about all the work, but we have eliminated a lot of possible things. They could have, this could have been, and I, I hope I put this picture, oh, I didn't put the picture of the cell phone in. <laughs> I meant to put a picture of the cell phone. The cell phone, of course, was one of the things that a lot of people thought might be responsible for CCD. Well, I can tell you cell phones are not the, pro- not the problem. Cell phones are not responsible for CCD. But um, we eliminated a lot of things that we thought might be possible by questioning the beekeepers and trying to identify a pattern. And what we have come down to in the research that we have done so far is there has been the identification of a new virus. And some of you may have have heard about this. It's called the Israeli acute paralysis virus. And so this is taken from a paper that that Diana and her colleagues produced that talks about this Israeli acute paralysis virus. And in most (laughs) of the colonies, in most of the colonies that had CCD, this virus was present. But the interesting thing was. A lot of other, these are other diseases, a lot of other diseases, in, that, in other words, in 100% of the time, they found a lot of diseases. They found diseases together. This, this tells you how predictive it is. And if you find these diseases together, 100% of those colonies were, uh, in, were, were CCD colonies. So what this says to us is the bees are very sick and they seem to be open to maybe infection. But we don't think this is what's causing the, the, the bees to die. We think that there's something else going on that's opening them up to infection. For instance, you know how all of, even in mammalian systems, if you're weak, if your nutrition is poor and your immune system is weak, you're more susceptible to, to diseases. So is there something possibly that's weakening the immune system of these bees that's allowing them to become more Um, susceptible to to diseases. We think that that's a possibility. Um, We do know we are worried about nutrition, and some of these bees go on to crops like blueberries, where all they have is blueberry pollen. And again, honeybees like a variety of pollen. So when they're on only one kind of pollen, and it's not a very high-quality pollen, nutrition is poor. So one of the things the beekeepers have done is they've started to supplement the bees. They started to feed them, add additional pollen and even nectar to them. So that's one thing that we've learned and one thing that we think is very important in this puzzle. The other thing that we've been working on, and I'm just going to spend a little bit more time on this because this is our, our work here, is again our, our, our people, another one of our beekeepers who's very important to us, Craig Stella, and a new student in our lab, Daniel Schmel. We have been working on the issue around pesticides. And um, there's a lot to say here, and I don't have time to say an awful lot, but I... I do want to say that this is the question that we've been asking. What is the role that pesticides play in CCD and in declining honeybee health? And there are lots of ways. The reason why we're asking this is because there's a lot of opportunity for bees to come in contact with
1: pesticides
0: when they are used for pollination inadvertently, when they're out there in the environment and they visit a crop that's been where pesticides have been added. And the beekeepers themselves, because of a, a mite, a parasitic mite, have to add pesticides to their hives to control that mite. So in short, what we have found is a lot of pesticides. This is from looking at the pollen and the wax. Bees, it turns out, are very good at collecting everything in their environment. And they do a, they do a great job. They actually go out and they collect large amounts of nectar and pollen, and they bring it back to the hive. And when they're doing that, they're, they, they are picking up everything out there. And so this is a concern to us. And on average, we have found about um, six pesticides per, uh, just real quickly, uh, six pesticides per pollen sample. So that's a lot of pesticides for an insect. (laughs) We're talking about an insect here, and a lot of these are insecticides, and also fungicides and herbicides. You may have heard the issue about neonicotinoids. Neonicotinoids are a big concern because they're systemic, meaning the plant sucks them up and it translocates throughout the plant. We have found some, some neonicotinoids, but we have not found that many, and we have not found them in that many samples. Certainly no more than the other pesticides. So our concern is that pesticides, all pesticides in general, are problematic. And particularly, you know, when you go to the pharmacist and he asks you what other, you're going to get this, this, this uh, prescription filled, what other, what other prescriptions do you have? What other drugs do you have? Because we're real concerned about the interaction of chemicals. We're real concerned about that same thing here with honeybees and the pesticides we've got. So I think I just have. So now our question is, not only what is the role of pesticides in CCD, but the bigger question is, what is the impact that pesticides are having on declining pollinators in general? Not just honeybees, but in general. Okay. And I just three last slides I have here. The thing that has been amazing to us is that um, this, issue has raised tremendous public awareness and concern for years. I've been at Penn State for 20 years and for 20 years in the, in the fall of the year, late summer in the fall I get
1: calls from people saying I
0: have honeybees in a tree in my house this is a tree where the honeybees nest in cavities I have them in the eaves of my house I have them in my chimney. How can I kill them? How can I get rid of them? What do I do? Now people call me what, t- give me the name of a beekeeper. I have these bees. That, you know, I know that there aren't many bees around. How can we save these bees? What can we do to take care of these bees? You know, I don't want to kill them. You know, I don't want them in my chimney, but I don't want to kill them. <laughs> so we're struggling with what to do, how to help people. But the people are very concerned. They're very, very interested, very much wanting to help uh, the bees. The other thing is there's a, all of our we, one of the things that's happened is we have seen an, a, a tremendous increase in the number of people becoming beekeepers. All of our bee schools, all of our publications, lots of people interested in becoming beekeepers. Uh, we have students from, this is a, a young girl uh, in um, Long Island who raised, I think, I can't remember the exact amount, but thousands of dollars for CCD. We had another school group that raised $3,000. So people, individuals, school groups are raising money for the research on, on uh, the declining quality. The Master Gardeners here in Pennsylvania had a wonderful planting for pollinators. How can we help? We can plant for pollinators. We can allow pollinators. We can help the pollinators by providing nectar and pollen sources. So they've done a wonderful job, the Master Gardeners, and I have a few of their brochures on planting for pollinators, uh, anybody who's interested. Some of you may have heard that haagen has become very concerned and interested and has given Penn State over $200,000 for research on uh, pollinator decline. And lastly, I, this is from our great insect fair. It's amazing how much more tolerant people are of bees. We had this honey tasting display, and I was shocked because when I went over there at the end of the day, all of these jars were covered with honey bees who were visiting. They found the honey, and they were trying to steal this and take it back to their hive. And people weren't, they were not concerned. They were swishing the bees out of the way. There's bees right in the, in the container, and they're digging the honey out around the bee, protecting the bee. It was amazing. I was really shocked to see that. With lots of funding from lots of different places, and I just wanted to give, make sure you had this website. We try to put everything that we do, all of our uh, publications and information, on this website. This is the Mid-Atlantic Apiculture Research and Extension Consortium, and it's a, it's a regional group uh, that's housed at Penn State. So I'm going to stop there and take a quick swig of water and I am open to questions that you might have. I know this was very, very broad stroke, uh, but I'm happy to answer questions that you have. And I see somebody in the back there. I guess we're going. And a homeowner. I think and we can. A who has uh, the properties within
2: two miles of here. Yes. I have only one acre, but I have honeybees and I have butterflies, and I have a great variety of songbirds and all kinds of other critters. And the reason for this is because when I purchased the property, it was just like 99% of the private properties in this area: lawns, fertilized, pesticides, your uh, ornamental shrub by the house. That's it. As you said, they need a variety and ongoing food source. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't exist in Santa County. Mm-hmm. simply doesn't. It just every homeowner would dedicate one little spot for a variety of wildflowers with a variety of shrubs It doesn't have to be apple trees. I have to have some trees that are self Mm pollinating. But the idea here is that everything requires something else and something else. The same stuff, and I find in particular the honeybees were incredible on the uh, butterfly weed last summer. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were just drowning it. Yet the same weed was serving as the food for the monarch butterfly months later. And I really think that if there's any way you can get the message out, just a little bit of your
0: sacred lawn <laughs> would it would help the honeybees. Yeah. I think that's true of not just honeybees, but all pollinators could benefit from us planting a greater variety of flowering plants. Or not being so adamant about no dandelions or no clover in our lawn. Those are great nectar sources, great pollen and nectar sources. So you may, um, if you're interested in that, concerned about that, would like to think about that, again, this Master Gardener group, they have some demonstration gardens around the state, and they also have, um, uh, they uh, uh, will actually certify you as a pollinator-friendly garden, and this brochure talks about, uh, different <clears> plants that you can plant that are nectar and pollen sources. So uh, I would highly encourage you to, 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 to do just that. That's excellent. I think mm-hmm. we have some. Yeah.
1: This summer where I live, we have a carpenter bee crop. I don't know whether carpenter bees are pollinators or not, but in the middle of the summer we have a... I can be, your... it, um, just hold it closer. Yeah, 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 that's it. a little closer.
0: Okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. okay. Carpenter bees. Uh, They disappeared in the middle of the summer, down to the last bee, and they're always a nuisance and drill a lot of holes and so on. But are they pollinators, and could they have been subject to this also?
0: Carpenter bees are pollinators. They're solitary, but they like to aggregate, so they like to be grouped, so you, you typically don't see one or two, you typically see a group of them. The reason why they disappeared, they'll be back. They'll be back in the spring. What happens with a lot of these solitary bees is they're active for a certain period of time. That female is provisioning her nest and laying her eggs, and once she's done doing that, once the little tube or the boring is full, she's done. She dies, and you don't see those bees again until next spring. So in that case, again, a lot of our solitary bees are that way. They, They are only active for a certain period of time. They provision their nest, and then they're finished, and we don't see them again. So that's probably what's happened in your case. You'll... For better or worse, they'll
1: be back next spring. <laughs> what, I what I don't understand is um, we've had pesticides with us for since World War II, pretty much, and yet this, this colony collapse disorder only seems to be something that occurred in the last year or two. So what's changed that would make you suspect that it's pesticides doing this rather than something more recently introduced?
0: That, that's a very good question. So... We don't necessarily think that pesticides alone are causing this problem, first of all. We do think it's a combination of things. The other thing that's happened, is pe- so there, there's two issues here. One is that, let's talk about the pesticide issue first. Our pesticides and the pesticides that we use are changing over time. And so it is potentially possible that new pesticides or new combinations of pesticides could be part of the the problem. So that's one of the things we're concerned about, is that we're trying to, ironically enough, move away from this broad uh, spectrum, you know, spraying broad um, spectrum pesticides out in the environment and be more careful. And that's one of the things these neonicotinoids do, a small amount on the plant, translocated throughout the plant, but is it going into the nectar and pollen and the bees are collecting it. That's a, a relatively new... A pest approach is a good one from an environmental standpoint but is it good for our pollinators okay so pesticides are changing the combinations of pesticides are changing again we don't think that pesticides or diseases or stress is acting alone we are con- what we are working hypothesis now is that things are coming together that are causing this the collapse Possibly no varroa mites, which are a parasitic mite on honeybees that we know can transmit disease we've had in this country since 87. That's been a real problem and a struggle for beekeepers, and that's why they're using pesticides, some of them, in the hives. These pesticides, more pesticides, new pesticides. The beekeepers are moving their bees. They've been doing this for years. It's nothing new. But that's very stressful for them to move their bees to certain crops for pollination. We also worried about the lack of good nutrition. So what we think is happening is that these things are coming together to cause colonies to be weakened and be then susceptible to diseases, more susceptible. And if a new disease like IAPV comes in or a disease that's changed in some way, the bees are, it seems that they are more susceptible to these things. So that is, your, your thinking is very good, but our... our working hypothesis right now is that it is a combination of things which makes it much more difficult so we don't believe that pesticides alone are responsible but we think they're playing a role an important role in this whole decline
1: back to the uh, uh, carpenter bees (laughs) i've had them outside my front door for some years and this is the only year that i ever noticed that they came back in the same season.
0: Came back in the same season. I,
1: they were there at their usual time, and then I didn't see them. And then uh, a week or so later, I saw a few again, and I hmm. never saw that before. Hmm. Could have happened. Before. Hmm.
0: I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not that familiar with 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 carpenter bee biology. Um, I'm not exactly sure what happened there. Maybe they took a vacation.
2: I don't
0: know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no.
1: <laughs> okay. let's, let's take a couple questions from the kids and the teachers. Okay. Okay.
2: okay. Uh,
1: I was wondering, given the precipitous decline that you mentioned, what kind of time frame there is um, in terms of correcting, you know, changing the situation so that they are no longer declining? And how optimistic are you about getting the various, I guess, the many players involved to
0: cooperate to be able to change the situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. We had hoped that we would find a cause of CCD, a single cause, a new disease or a new pesticide or Something that was causing this to happen that was very obvious we could fix it That's what we hoped, but it is much more complicated now That it does look like it is a combination of things that are coming into play and And maybe not even the same combination all the time, and so we have a very dedicated group of people uh, Who are working on this problem, and we are working very closely together. The the, uh, USDA Uh, other universities, the Florida Department of Agriculture, the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. um, It is not going to happen quickly, we don't think. The answer is not going to happen quickly. In the meantime, it's it's hard to fix something before you know what's causing the problem. But I think the beekeepers are making steps like feeding the bees to try to help increase their um, resistance to diseases. I think homeowners are being are interested, and so they're being maybe more careful with the pesticides they use and planting for pollinators. So I think maybe it will take an effort, you know, little bits of effort by a lot of people until so we can get it worked out. What we are worried about is our beekeepers are very, very overworked, overstressed. They're 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 at the ends of their you know ropes, emotionally, physically, and financially. They poured a lot into these bees. And if we lose these beekeepers, they're not beekeepers. Maybe some of these sixth graders will be interested in becoming beekeepers, but we're really worried that we don't have people to replace them, to truck these bees all over the country. So in the long term, we think the bees will survive and they'll be okay, you know, but we're also equally worried about our beekeepers and can they continue to, uh, to, to sustain themselves and their businesses and provide the kinds of pollination that we need. Across the country.
1: So, how about a question or two from the sixth graders? Yeah, we yeah, hear from. Yeah. Okay. Um, um,
2: so when we were back at our school, we were watching a video about how the bees were dying, and um, we watched something about how when another um, royal bee um, is born, then they, the, she has to fight the queen for the throne. And when they both die, all the bees fly off and try to find a new queen. And uh, um, in the video, they gathered in a civilized, civilized area, and um, they were blocking something. So I was wondering, um, when the beekeepers came, they were spraying bees with water to get them off and take them someplace else. Mm-hmm. But when bees are hit by rain, they freeze up and they almost die because they can't move or anything. So I was wondering when
0: they were getting sprayed by water, why weren't they dying or freezing up or anything? Okay, okay. So so you've got a lot of information there. Let <laughs> me try to see like I can kind of consolidate. What happens in a beehive is that bees, when they, when one bee is born in a cell, when it crawls out of its little cell, it's, it's not really um, reproduction of that species. What has to happen for the bees to reproduce and to multiply is the colony has to divide. As you were saying, the colony, half of it with the with one of the queens. You I, I think you were we were, you were little the queen um, information you were giving us was um, uh, I think a couple of different pieces of information put together. But whenever a colony wants to reproduce, the old col- the parent colony will produce new queens. The new queen will stay in the hive. The old queen will leave with half of the bees, and they'll form a swarm. And that swarm will land somewhere on a tree temporarily. I think (coughs) that's what you were saying. And sometimes the beekeepers, when they go to collect those swarms, it's a great way to get bees, is they'll spray them with a little bit of water or a little bit of sugar syrup so that they can easily collect them. The bees, when they shake them off the branch, they won't fly away. They fall into the box, and they can carry them home and put them in their beehive but I don't know about the freezing <coughs> thing because typically bees swarm in the springtime and it's and not usually freezing weather. So we don't usually have a problem with spraying the bees. That's not usually a problem. They, you know, can 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 um, pretty easily shake themselves off kind of, you know, like a dog and, and they can get wet and it doesn't hurt them. It doesn't hurt them. Does that answer your question? Okay. Good. Good.
1: How about another sixth grade question maybe from this side. Can we- uh, oh, mm-hmm. someone else had a question. Yeah, okay, we'll go there.
2: ahead. Uh, did,
1: wait, um, Should be a little closer.
2: Did bees have a longer lifespan before humans started ruining their way of life? Okay. <laughs> 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 wait, wait, Can you put that on? <laughs> can you say it again? Did bees have a longer lifespan before humans starting started? started Ruining their way
0: of life. <laughs> <laughs> well, honeybees, you know, bees are different. All the bees, different species of bees are different. Honeybee nests are perennial, meaning that they live from year to year to year. And one of the things that is happening is that they're not living from year to year to year, that we see them, the, the bees are, are, are dying. The colonies are dying sooner. So, yeah, I think that in in nature, they probably do before we had all these problems like varroa mites and and pesticides and, and so forth they did live longer lives um, now that we have varroa mites and those kinds of things so the beekeepers have to try to protect the bees from those so in some ways humans are helping the bees by protecting them from the, the mites and diseases um, in other ways they you know they are sort of uh, Maybe better, off without, maybe better off without human intervention. One of the things I, I will say, though, that's interesting about your question, we are asking the question is, are things shortening the lives of the bees individually in the hive? And in the summer, it's not so important, because in the summer, the bees, the queen is laying 1,500 eggs a day. So she is replacing those bees. Every, lots of bees are coming on. Lots of bees are dying so if their lives are shortened for a few days uh, or a week, it doesn't matter because there are lots of new bees to take their place. But in the winter time, they have to live for about four months. There's no new bees being, re- being born. These bees have to live for about four months. So if their lives are shortened, that means the colony dies over the winter because there are no new bees to take their place. So it is a, that's a very important point, and we are very concerned about the shortened lives of individual bees, particularly over the winter, and then the fact that colonies are not living as long as they should. So, yeah, good question. All right. Maybe
1: yeah. one more student question, and then we'll take some adult What's questions. Over? <laughs>
0: Does
2: it
0: matter? <laughs> How many different types of bees do we have living in Pennsylvania? Mm-hmm. Well, we have about 700 different kinds of bees, but only one honeybee. In the world, there are about seven species of honeybees, but most of them are in Asia. And, you know, the thing about honeybees is they're not native to North America. They were brought here by the settlers. I think the first record is 1621, whenever honeybees were first brought to this country. But they've done very well. They've done very well in this country. So, good question.
2: Uh, Are there any geographic discrepancies as far as the uh, severity of the CCD that might, with contrasting and, like, different environmental factors, could give you some insight into why colonies are dying in a certain way? Yeah,
0: and I, I have to say, in terms of CCD, I mean, in terms of pollinator decline in general, no. I think pollinator decline is pretty consistently happening in bee species across the country and across North America and in other countries as well. The interesting thing about CCD right now is that it does seem to be confined to our commercial beekeepers. Our large beekeepers seem to be most uh, susceptible to CCD. Those people are all over the country. Their their operations are all over the country. They do um, tend to be a lot in the Midwest. But we certainly have plenty of commercial beekeepers here in Pennsylvania. Um, so I wouldn't say geographically it CCD is uh, happening in different places, but it does seem to be more likely to happen in our commercial operations versus our, our smaller. Uh, uh, well, that, that seems
2: like a vitally important thing. I mean, maybe uh, there's an inorganic quality to these large, like, for instance, these factory farms that just make the bees just
0: depressed. Absolutely, I mean, I think the bees are sh- definitely more stressed in these large commercial migratory operations, and we think stress is a very important piece of this. So yes, they are more stressed under those circumstances. That's that's right. Um,
1: uh,
2: well, you partially already answered my question about um, who's being more affected by CCD. Mm-hmm. But have you noticed very many instances of CCD in the like the hobbyist beekeepers?
0: Yeah, we don't have CCD so much, but we do have a lot of hobbyist beekeepers. The reason we have lost so many beekeepers uh, because they can't keep their bees alive. So even though it may not be CCD, mm-hmm. the bees are still dying. The colonies are still dying. Um, we. That is part of the reason why we have so much, so many fewer bees is we have so many fewer beekeepers. Beekeepers are getting very weary of their bees. They, they start bees and then they, they, they try to keep up with the treatments and the control of varroa mites and so forth. And then the, and for, for the reasons of mites or other reasons, the bees die. So there's a real effort, there's a real movement to try to um, get away from chemical control, to um, have breed bees that are resistant to mites, and uh, Warren Miller, one of the beekeepers here in in this audience today, has been making a real movement. He's a local beekeeper here in Pennsylvania who has been trying very hard to to do just that, to not use chemicals to control mites, to work toward bees resistant to mites and strong and healthy for our local environment. Um, So... I don't know if that answers your question, but, yeah, we're trying very hard as a... as a, It's harder for the big commercial beekeepers because their livelihood is totally dependent on these colonies being alive and healthy. And that almond grower is totally dependent on them bringing those bees. So they, it's very hard for them to let bees that are not resistant, that are susceptible, die. Um, they They keep those bees up and going and multiply those bees and... It's, it's, an, it's unfortunately a necessary evil, um, but we are looking at organic beekeepers. We're getting samples from organic beekeepers. We're asking the question, are we having as many many problems in organic or beekeepers who are trying to move away from um, pesticides either because of agricultural c- contact or because of mite control. And, uh, and we're just now looking at that particularly from the pesticide point of view. I
1: think we have uh, two people who have already indicated they want the mic. You have the mic and then we have one question up here. Go ahead.
0: Um,
1: I'm,
2: a, um, I'm a beekeeper here in Center County, and I, I teach classes to help interview
1: people. Could, in could you put the mic a little closer? Yeah. Um, I'm a
2: beekeeper here in Center County, and I uh, teach classes to help people get into beekeeping. And Great. I'm wonderful. got four or five people interested. Um, are you guys looking at the effect of high fructose corn syrup that a lot of these commercial beekeepers feed their bees throughout the winter um, on... Bees as a whole, and what effect that has on CCD.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, just so I'll give you all a little background. Beekeepers do have to <coughs> feed their bees sometimes. Um, whenever there's not enough nectar, or the bees haven't made enough honey to get through the winter, we feed them. We feed them sugar syrup. And traditionally, that sugar syrup has been sucrose syrup. Basically, we just go buy a lot of white sugar and we mix it up with water and we feed it to the bees. In recent years, the thing that's become very cheap is this high fructose corn syrup. And it's used a lot in our own food. And so the beekeepers have started using or did what we're using, this high fructose corn syrup. Um, they are now moving away from the use of high fructose corn syrup because they are concerned. There are different ways that high fructose corn syrup can be manufactured. And there have been some problems with bee kills associated with high fructose corn syrup. Isolated. Um, when we surveyed the beekeepers that had CCD and we asked them, did you use high fructose corn syrup? Because we thought maybe that was part of the problem. That cause, maybe that was it. Maybe that was causing CCD. Some of them used it. Some of them used sucrose. Some of them didn't feed at all. So we don't think that was the reason for CCD. We eliminated it. But there is concern about high fructose corn syrup, and I can tell you beekeepers are moving away from that and are now feeding much more. I think it's more common Plus, the high fructose corn syrup has become much more expensive, so they're feeding more sucrose. Um, Recently in the Center Daily
2: Times, there was an article about bats and the colonies of bats that are having large numbers die, and um, they said they were finding a white coloration around the mouth, and I think they said it was virus, but I'm not sure, but they were also, uh, the article also um, hypothesized that this virus, if that's what I recall it was, was the same thing that could be happening to the bees? Again, I think it's a
0: fungus. I think they were, oh, the it fungus? was a fungus, yeah, okay. white-nose well, syndrome. And they were thinking it was
2: related to the same causes or similar causes. What do you think about well,
0: that? you know, it's interesting. When you look at our, 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 our ecological systems, like pollinators, like the bats, like frogs, also there's a lot of uh, death among frogs. There's been a lot of concern for a number of years. Is there a connection between these things? And, yeah, I think there might be. This is my personal opinion. I do think there might be. I don't think it's exactly the same cause, but what's happening, it seems like, is these things might be more susceptible to diseases, diseases that maybe they would normally be able to fight off. So is there some commonality, or is there something that's causing the um, the, 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 the the animals to be more susceptible to diseases? And, uh, and I, I think there is potentially... Something common, maybe not directly common, but maybe there's something grossly common that's happening to our, our systems that's allowing things to become more susceptible to disease.
1: We have about five minutes left. Why don't we take a couple more questions from the kids? Kids, raise your hand if you have questions.
2: Um is there any explanation for the fact that there isn't very many or no dead disease in the hives after
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Is there any explanation for why there aren't dead bees? Why aren't we finding dead bees in the hive? And uh, that's been a very big question that we've asked. Because sometimes whenever bees die, we do find dead bees in the hive. In the winter, for instance, if they run out of food, what we find is a bunch of dead bees in the bottom of the beehive. But, you know, bees are pretty, pretty amazing animals. And if they're sick, for instance... We do know that they will leave the hive because they live in a close community and so um, sometimes when diseased, we have some evidence that when they're diseased, uh, they don't want to spread that. I don't know they know they don't want to spread it, but they, in order to minimize the spread of disease, sick bees will leave the hive. We also know that as bees age, as they get old, that's what they do. They just leave the hive and they die out in the field. So is something... Our question is, is something happening that makes the bees sick and leave the hive or make them uh, mature prematurely, (laughs) make them get older prematurely so that they think that's what they're supposed to do, leave the hive and die out in the field. So these are all things that we're thinking about, potential explanations for why the colony, why we don't find dead bees but the bees are gone. And we're pretty certain that they're leaving the hive and dying.
1: Let's take these two more questions, Meredith, in the back row here.
2: Why can't there be more than one queen bee in a colony?
0: <laughs> Why can't there be more? That's a, how about some my beekeepers? Maybe they can answer that question. <laughs> you
2: know.
0: Can you repeat the
1: question, Mary? Yeah, why can't
0: there be more than one queen bee in a hive? And, uh, you know, insects are fascinating animals, and they have evolved very intricate ways of being able to survive and thrive. And this social colony where one individual is the queen and the workers do all the rest of the work is a strategy for surviving and thriving. And what it means is they can live in a big group, but if everybody was queen and nobody did the work, nobody collected the nectar and the pollen, it wouldn't work, would it? Society wouldn't work. So one individual has to be the queen and lay the eggs, and all the other females in the colony have to do the rest of the work of the nectar. And it's just a strategy that this group has, has adopted, has evolved, I haven't really adopted it, that's the wrong word, but has evolved for allowing them to be very, very successful in, in nature and to be able to fit that niche of, of, a, of a pollen and nectar feeder. That, the thing that's unique about honeybees and the reason why they need so many workers is to collect enough food so that they can live as a perennial colony, live through the winter. You know how much honey it takes for a beehive? How much honey do you eat in a year? Maybe a pound? Not even that much? It takes 60 pounds of honey for a beehive to live through the winter. That's how much honey we have to leave on each colony so that they can survive the winter. So in order to collect all that honey, it takes a lot of worker bees to work together to collect that honey. So it's a a good system for them. It works really well.
1: And we have one more student question in this row.
2: Um, uh, could it be like a cycle that these bees are going through? Like there's a really dense population of them and then their population decreases and then goes back up again? Yes.
0: You sound like you could be an insect pathologist. is <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. What insect does that? Where, where do we see that happen? Here And even in Center County, what insect? I don't know. How about gypsy moth. Yeah, we see that happen with gypsy moths, right? Gypsy moth populations, one or two years, there are really a lot of gypsy (coughs) moths. And then they kind of disappear for a while, and then they come back. So, yeah, that's a possibility that the bees are going through a cycle, that something is happening. But the thing about honeybees is we've had beekeepers keep them for so many years that I think we would know if that were a cycle that, that happened over a couple of years, and then the bees came back. And that we haven't seen that in honeybee populations uh, in all the years that beekeepers have been keeping bees. So we think this is something new and different. But that's a good question.
1: We're going to have to end on that note. Um, I'm sure you'll agree that we had a fascinating discussion. I don't know if uh, Marion can stay a few more minutes to take mm-hmm. a few more questions, but please join me in giving a big round of applause. to <laughs> For our wonderful sixth graders from Mount Middle School. And one last note before you go. Um, next Wednesday at noon is our conclusion of the fall season. Uh, it's called Solar Solutions, the Challenges and Promise of Solar Power. <laughs> okay. And I hope you'll join us for a lively conversation next week.